hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode. This is our second dig deep and re- uh, dig deep and debate. A good start. I'm already tripping over my words. So, second dig deep and debate episode, and today we are discussing race inclusivity and pageantry. Welcome to Pageantland, the UK's premier podcast for all things pageantry, with your host Jessica Barkley. Here you'll find guest experts past, present and future queens, plus my own personal insights into what it's like to follow your pageantry dreams. So whether you're hitting the stage for the first time, looking to up your game, or even after some inspiration to follow your own dreams, I hope you will find something here for you. I'll ask the questions you're too embarrassed to, and get real about the highs and lows of pageantry. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a share on social and pop me a review on iTunes. Now strap on those heels and let's get into it because we have a lot to cover. So talk about like jumping in the deep end. Uh, We did our first Dig Deep and Debate episode was about LGBTQ plus inclusivity and pageantry. And I had to say that phrase so many times and I'm not good. um, I'm very dyslexic. I'm not good with those kind of... um, I was about to call it alliteration. That's not what that is. Abbreviations. So that was a challenge in itself. And if you haven't heard that episode, um, do go back and check it out. It was a couple of weeks ago. But also, if you haven't heard about our new Dig Deep and Debate style episodes, so these are going to sporadically pop up between our normal formats of either myself or guest expert interviews. Um, And this is about talking about the important things and having some like really authentic, natural conversations with awkward questions and difficult stumblings and where we don't always know the answer, but they're conversations that need to be had. Um, And we thought this was a really good place full of amazing women where we could have these kind of uh, conversations. So if you want a bit more information about the the style of the Dig Deep and Debate um, episodes, if you head back to, I think it was the first one in July, and it's a whole episode about the structure and why we're doing these kind of episodes and what we want to bring and also if you maybe think you've got a topic that's suitable I would head over to that episode have a listen first um, and then reach out and say yes I've got a topic and I would like to do this and I'd like to bring this to the stage with these episodes it tends to be easier if the prospective guests come to us um because it means they are very confident speaking on the topic they're um not worried about putting themselves out there when it comes to the topic. So although there are some topics we are seeking guests for, it's quite a tricky one to find the balance for. You've got to have a pretty strong, confident person um, around the topic. Um, And I will kind of... Trigger warning is the wrong thing for this. I might have had to already add a trigger warning, depending on what we get into in this interview. But I'm putting my head on the chopping block with this. Um, and I am going to ask some questions I do kind of know the answer to, but more to spark the conversation and extend the debate and things like that. Um, so please remember that I am playing the part of uh, the interviewer and part of the conversation here, as opposed to that I am always speaking from my own knowledge base um, because otherwise sometimes we wouldn't touch on things that I think it's also important to touch on as well. Um, We all have different levels of experience and I want this episode to help those that have no experience in the topic all the way up to those that may be further along in their journey. So Oh, long intros for these episodes and hopefully after we've done a few more people will be a bit more understanding but I, I do as as much as I don't mind putting my neck on the chopping block for important episodes, um, it still makes me a little nervous. I'm still competing in pageantry, um, but I'm 
I'm always myself, so hey ho, um, uh, don't hate me for um, <laughs> don't hate me for it, and we'll be fine. Uh, so, speaking of strong, fabulous guests, um, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us your your name, your pageant title, um, um, and what sort of first brought you into pageantry? So we've got a little bit more of an understanding of who you are. Over to you, my lovely. Yes, thank you so, so, so much for having me over here, Jessica. It's truly an honor to be with you and to discuss this very interesting yet controversial subject. So, hi everyone, my name is Candy Pash and I am your Miss Eco United Kingdom finalist. Um, what really got me into pageantry is actually many things, but I think... For me personally, the main thing was uh, when I was very little, I idolized uh, pageant girls, especially the Miss Universe ones and the Miss World, especially Miss Universe. And I remember telling myself, I'm going to be one of those girls one day. I don't care how long it takes, you know, all the sweat, blood and tears. One day I am going to be on a pageant stage. And so, yes, it was definitely a childhood interest of mine. And uh, it's come into, uh, let's say, fruition. I'm not even, can't even say that word too good. But yeah, it's coming to, let's say, reality rather. And I'm very happy about it. That is one of my favorite words, fruition. And I trip <laughs> over it all the time, but it's such a good sounding word. So, um, racism. Yes. Uh, political or ethical? My goodness, it's a bit of both, but I feel in this day and age, it's becoming way more politicized for me. Um, and it, yeah, and it really shouldn't be. But I guess the reason why is because um, what enables like anti-racism is governments is leaders is authority and that goes through politics and so that's why I would say it's it's a bit of both but it shouldn't be mm, like the solution is definitely connected deeply into politics because this is one of the common things we get with not just racism but a lot of difficult conversations within pageantry particularly is people like oh that's a political issue and we don't touch on political issues and I'm like mm, I feel yeah. like that's the scapegoat like absolutely it is a really good word to connect it with um yes I and what what how does it make you feel when people try and use particularly when it comes to pageantry they use saying oh it's political as a bit of a scapegoat for having to deal with the issue yeah um it's definitely is a scapegoat a hundred percent it's almost like those people sort of are washing their hands over the issue do you know what I mean they kind yeah. of maybe don't want to touch on it too deeply because they're fearful that they could get things wrong or they'll be like oh it's it's nothing to do with me um it's it's something I haven't gone through so I don't have that knowledge and for me it's like we're all human beings we all have a brain we all have emotions it doesn't matter if you're black white blue or purple the the ethical thing is to stand up for your fellow human beings no matter what it is and once they dump the the subject of ish of race sorry onto politics it's it's like really do you know what I mean you're actually 
in a way you're you're losing your human identity by just doing that if that makes sense yeah because we we talk a lot about this in pageantry about supporting women and um I actually I did a podcast episode not long ago um about whether we should support women um because if our beliefs completely contradict theirs surely we are being a hypocrite like for me supporting someone that actively um supports fast fashion and if I go and support all their posts and share all their posts to me that would be a hypocrite because I'm Mm. anti-fast fashion so therefore supporting all people uh, supporting all women becomes a a very weird gray area and my my conclusion from that episode is is no you don't need to be anti something but if you're going to actively support somebody you need to actually believe in that kind of thing um but we usually seem to use that for like saying whoop whoop well done for posting a picture with your pretty outfit um instead of actually saying I support all women so I'm actively gonna make a difference to be uh, less racist to like recognize my white privilege um I really love that that's a phrase that I've learned I'm I don't love that it exists um mm. because I'd love everyone to just we'll all be privileged together um but <laughs> yeah. it was something I was kind of a sort of aware but not enough aware of and I really I personally I like labels like that because it helps me understand things and once I understand something better I can do something more about it and in the same way that I kind of previously had probably said things like um or thought things like oh I don't I don't really see color I see people and actually I've now found that there's uh, there's like racism in that like I should also see color and understand that that means that people have had different struggles and that there's different stories behind that kind of thing as well like there's there's more to that than um and I know in invite you obviously you're involved in, in in environmental things as well there's that phrase greenwashing I feel like we need a phrase for racism that does that as well um, right. like when people use that phrase oh but I've got a black friend <laughs> that kind of like what we need we need to a phrase for that because phrases like that phrase like oh I don't see color I feel like would fall into that catchment as well or yes. um like I I don't have white privilege when you're a basic white girl I refer to myself as a basic white girl sorry <laughs> if any white people listening to this are offended by that but I am I'm like what <laughs> I refer to I'm myself be, I'm as being proud girl. of it honestly <laughs> basic white girl and and one of the like I um, I'm ig- ignorant, but trying, um, I think, has a lot of people like cottoned onto that as well, because it does get quite tricky to start these kind of conversations. Um, I'm very lucky and I'm going to say, <laughs> going to say that phrase. I have some lovely black friends who are very welcome to my what I'd refer to as my stupid questions and my basic white girl questions. And they will. <laughs> They will sit on the phone with me for ages to help me understand better. And I'm really, really blessed to have that so that I am checking my white privilege and I am starting to understand my language. Like I would, I never knew the, uh, would never use the N word. And yeah. I understand a bit more behind that, but I'm, and but I'm now learning more behind other words and the reasons behind them. And I do find words very, very fascinating. And um, there's, uh, it's not racism linked at all, but the word frigging that we always quite use quite openly and freely. Oh, yeah. 
go if you use that word as much as I do by mistake go and find out what it actually means I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast what it actually means but it is not something I think you'd be wanting to actively say as much as people use that word and I do find it really interesting in this day and age we we use words we have no idea what they actually mean Um, and it's not until someone says that that's that's racist yes and the person that said it needs to not necessarily be offended that someone's calling up on their race calling them up on their racism just be like oh can you explain why because not only does it explain that word but it also might explain other words for sure for sure um yeah I totally agree with you although for me it's I kind of see it differently because sorry I should have also mentioned that I'm I'm also mixed race so I kind of can see both angles so both black and white the cultures and and I'm I think I'm also in a very lucky position where I can also sort of explore the pros on the and the cons of both cultures and um sort of the context behind that and the, the term white privilege for me also has, what can I say without sounding terrible? Um, it's, it's, it's never res- resonated with me in the sense of me actually accepting it. But that's, I feel like that's a whole other um, conversation and stuff like that um, for, this, for this podcast. Um, because I remember actually I had a, I had a friend and he, uh, he's from African descent. And do you know what he told me, Jess, that was very interesting. And I don't think I've ever thought about this before. He said to me, like, Candace, in a way, everyone holds some type of, uh, prejudice and, uh, discrimination against another person and it could be a subconscious thing. So you're not actively going to do it or even intentionally wanting to do it. But because of your environment, the people that you speak to every single day and who shape you and your identity, you kind of do it by default. Um, mm. And yeah, I don't know if you understand sort of where I'm coming from. So, oh, 100%. And I know where I do it. As soon as you said it, I know like the main place I do it is swearing. Oh, right. If people swear, I, and I've learned, I've learned over the years to check myself when I do it. But if people swear, um, my prejudice is automatically to put them in a category of lower intelligence. Interesting. Um, Yeah. I, I, if people are trying to pitch an argument about, about something and they swear in it, I automatically, uh, they, they lose points in the argument. Even if they were arguing something I agreed with. I, yeah. I, my natural instinct is to be like, oh, you're not very, yeah. like, you just couldn't think of a proper word. And that's not accurate at all. But I yeah. do it. It's- yeah. <laughs> of course, I understand 100% where you're coming from. And then that goes to just sort of the anthropology, you know, of human beings that we just tend to judge people sometimes subconsciously. And um, it's obviously through what we've been taught, what we've witnessed, what we're used to and everything like that, which um, gets me back on the point of the term white privilege. And to an extent, I do believe it is a real thing, but also because I'm in the middle of both black and white races, um, I, 
I, it doesn't really sit with me well, that term, because um, yes, of course, um, uh, white people tend to have more privileges than uh, black people in terms of maybe um, social in the social as aspects, the economic aspects and stuff. But I feel that that word just is, is sort of like the apartheid. It's creating um, more of a, a, a distant, a distant relationship between black people and white people. And for me, it almost patronizes black people. Do you know what I mean? Yes, there are so much sense. I'd never thought of it that way at all. Yeah, yeah. Because there, of course, you know, we, we do as black people, there, there's many times throughout history when history has shown even presently that we've suffered given obviously the George Floyd incident obviously shows that but I can tell you like Jess there are many black people who are thriving and mm -hmm. in Africa Nigeria for example they're they're one of the world's you know that's where oil is and there's lots of black billionaires and uh, my grandfather, who's fully black, was also one of the first um, actually wealthiest men, black men in Zimbabwe of his time. So coming from, um, I don't know, a mixed background, I kind of get to see um, the, the maybe the sort of the underbelly where people don't really see. And that's because for me, I feel like the media... Uh, sort of perpetuates this narrative that black people are constantly suffering and stuff and even the new millennials and the new generation of black kids were so eager for you know to grow our businesses to become wealthier spiritually mentally everything like that and so then going back to the white privilege term sorry if I sort of meandered no, it's all good. It's all good stuff. You can meander as much as you like. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that word is, is unfortunately, it just, it sort of soothes a wound in the Black community, uh, well, supposedly, when it's actually picking at the wound, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because then it kind of gives that narrative that black people will always be underprivileged, that there's no there's no chance where they can thrive and become prosperous. And there's only a few of us. When that's that's really not the truth. And because um that is another thing to do with anthropology where one culture is so used to their people, who they look like. And, um, and everything. And so when two cultures sort of come together and amalgamate, there is sort of that tension behind it because you're not used to that, how, you know, the people are, everything like that. And it, it, it's a whole, um, there's, there's not one straight route, the whole racism idea. It's, mm. it's way bigger and way complex than I think we as humans imagine. And the thing is, is that for me, I feel sometimes the media doesn't, they, it's sort of, they want to put black people at a disadvantage all the time. And um, there's, there's something that really needs to change. And I, I'm still yet to find out what that 
that could be to truly elevate black elevate black people sorry um yeah it's definitely a complicated complicated thing yeah it's one of those things that like it's just it's more com- having more difficult conversations it's like I think there are so many things in life we are we have not found and we are nowhere near the solution for but mm. we are we are taking steps we're at least moving forward we're at least not standing still with them anymore um yes. I mean, if you talk one of the um the stories that springs to mind so um I live on a on a private road um to the point where we're not allowed to change we're not allowed to change our front doors we're not allowed to change our garage doors everything has to look very uniform and neat and it's it's one of the reasons it's a lovely street it's really pretty it's like pretty um (laughs) we have a um and we we did at the time this was pre-covid um a a cleaning agency um uh, something like every other week we had a, a cleaner so it wouldn't always be the same person they would just send someone and um and, and we would always make sure that we were in so that we could let them in and show them around if we needed to etc um so quite often we have people coming onto our street which is very quiet it's not got a footfall because there's no through road or anything like that and um, yeah. so hadn't been here before and the house numbers are like set back. You have to walk up steps to get to each front door. It's like that sort of Americanish townhouse where you're like down to the garage and stuff like that. It's very pretty. I'll be very sad when we move because it's I like it. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's very hard to see which number house you're looking for. Um, and I have a big aqua plant pot, which is what I tell people to look for. But when they're coming through the agency, they don't know that. So pretty much every time it's a new person, they are going to wander up and down the street a little bit. Same with delivery drivers, um, delivery, anything like that. Um, and this was a time pre-COVID when not as many people were getting deliveries and things like that as often. And not once did anyone knock on our door when we had a white cleaner to say there was someone walk- walking up and down the street looking funny at your house. Right. And much happened. Every time we had a different cleaner, which was most weeks, there would be a person that did it. The one time we had a black cleaner I had five neighbors come and and discuss this issue that was on our street and I was like oh my god I live in a street full of racists and it's predominantly it's there's a few more younger residents now it was predominantly older residents on the street that live very sheltered lives there's lots of predominantly semi semi semi-retired people like this isn't an excuse it's just like generational change um I uh we've got a very good neighborhood watch we have (laughs) um it's a nice part of London I'll be very honest um and we have had a couple of spats my my partner's been here eight years there have been a couple of spats of breaking issues we had someone breaking while we were asleep upstairs took the runner. like it's not uncommon that people might be here casing but it's just the fact it was broad daylight and only happened for the black cleaner did not happen for so, the of white cleaners that wander up and down our roads looking up at the houses trying to work out which one's which because they all look the same the, t- the townhouses like they're all identical apart from the room number that remembers the house numbers and the yes. odd pot um and it's oh, just sad 
It is, I mean, there's a very active community watch. Like, if they did it for every single one, I'd be like, great, this is really good. Like, everyone's just keeping an eye out. And I, if I'm stood at my kitchen sink looking out the front window and I see people sort of wandering around looking up a lot or, um, like, someone was out the front taking pictures the other day and I wandered out, like, just so she knew someone was in the house, only to find out it was my cleaner and I'd completely forgotten she was arriving. <laughs> she was she was photographing and sending it to her agency going, which one is it? Um, right. It's quite a big flight it's although it's only one flight of stairs quite a big flight of stairs it's quite a lot to like walk up and down multiple ones because you can't walk up one and then walk across the fronts of the houses either and so I get why she'd be like I don't want to walk up all these stairs to find them at the wrong one um but (laughs) but I I'd like to think I wouldn't do that more if Mm. I but I you just don't know do you I think you until you check your behavior when you're doing something and thinking why am I doing this it's quite hard to and I wish if this happened now I'd like to think I would question those neighbors on hang on a minute this happens all the time with white people on our street yes what specifically made this person stand out to you yes Um, and like particularly as we're now moving it doesn't matter if it's being awkward but I'd also like to think I've now hit a point where I'm willing to have more awkward conversations with people if they say things like I'm calling my my dad up and stuff on it more yes yes he's too bad but there's still things that he says that I don't think he registers what he's saying yes which actually that's one of the questions I was going to ask you and that's inspired by my dad so before I forget um are there times where you do feel like it's the anti-racism PC brigade take it too far? And one of my examples here would be from quite some time ago, actually. My dad got called a racist because he ordered a white coffee at a coffee shop instead of saying coffee with milk. Right. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that is... Okay, so that is a very good question. And I've been actually thinking about that a lot. The PC brigade, in anything, to be fair, they're taking loads of things too far. Um, I remember, actually, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, that Mr. Potato Head is no longer existing. They basically cancelled Mr. Potato Head. I don't know if you've heard of that, yes. And um, I I don't know whether he symbolises some form of, I don't know, like a a racial symbol of something. I'm not too sure. But yes. He's a vegetable. (laughs) Depending on who you ask, because I argue that white potatoes aren't proper vegetables because they don't count as one of your five a day, but that's a whole episode in itself. Yeah, if only people could think like you. Do you know what I mean? But unfortunately, some people take it to the extreme. And also, Uncle Ben's is also not uh, existing anymore, I believe. Uh, They want to take it off um, shop stores, you know, the shelves, because it's it's apparently promoting, you know, uh, slavery and all of that kind of stuff, which for me is ridiculous because... Uncle Ben, I mean, it's just a black, a friendly looking black guy on the front of a packet of rice. Black people like to eat rice. White people like to eat rice. It doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Um, I think there's Aunt Betty's um, 
like the I don't know is it the Yorkshire puddings or, or something like that she's on front on the front of you know um, that product and I know plenty of uh, black people who like Yorkshire puddings and plenty of white people who like it and it, it just do you know it's just gone too too far for me and I'm just like I don't know when this silliness it's, it's essentially it's silliness when it's yeah. when it's gonna stop and I was watching a YouTube video it's very interesting and there was uh, this a white interviewer, he was going around to black people, basically telling telling them that they've cancelled Mr. Potato Head because people are saying that he's he's like a racist symbolism. And um, Uncle Ben's too. Like, what do you think about this? Every single black person that they interviewed was just like, what? This is crazy. Like, why are they taking away Mr. Potato Head? We love Mr. Potato Head. And um, when I dug deep on the, this issue, do you know who it was, Jess, who was basically pinpointing, saying, this is racist, that is racist? Do you know who it is? I'm going to say they were probably white. <laughs> you, yes, you are 100% correct. And, um, and for me, we were talking about solutions of how to combat racism. This is apparently one of the smartest solutions of how to combat racism, um, you know, that white, some white people have. And it's, it's kind of like, so you think these little things, these little, essentially it's childish and silly things are going to make black people feel prideful, are going to make them feel, you know, like they have a sense of worth by cancelling yeah, it, it takes away from the important bit as well, doesn't it? It's, yeah. It's, so I remember I used to teach um, a million years ago at PGL, which is an outdoor activity centre for kids. Mm. And part of our training um, was that we weren't allowed to sing Bar Bar Black Sheep on site. Oh, no. um, and it would be, so you'd sometimes use this, like um, the one that springs to mind, because it was the one where I accidentally sung Bar Bar Black Sheep. And of course there was someone there that had an opinion on it. Guess the colour oh, of their no. skin. White. <laughs> Um, and uh, it was it was a raft building race and you had to build a raft and get it in the water and then row it to the other end of the swimming pool and back again and then take the raft apart and put all the bits on the side and then the team had to sing a song and that was the way that you knew that they'd that they'd all finished and it was a good way of celebrating that they would be singing a song um, and they were right. like the song we sing and I was like Baba Black Sheep because you'd pick like a nursery <laughs> one that everyone knew or something and of course there was right. one girl who'd refused to take part um who was sitting on the side and she was like that song's racist. I've got a black friend. And I'm like, oh my goodness. He wasn't even there. He was back at school. <laughs> he wasn't oh, wow. he wasn't three hours away from school at this activity center. And I was like, I don't know. I I don't, I just don't get how that song is. It's not like bar bar black sheep and you're bad because you're a black sheep. It's like, no, bar bar black sheep as in bar bar pink sheep as in it's a descriptive color yeah. of the wall. Like we, it, we were apparently for a while, it was meant to be shifted to be bar bar rainbow sheep. And then we weren't allowed to say that either. Yeah. Um, so we were just told not to use the song at all. And it's Interesting. like, I was like, what? Yes. 
Yes. yes. Oh, so silliness at the end of the day, Jess. I'm I'm very passionate. You you've started something, honestly. <laughs> more silliness. Deal with the important yeah. bits, not the silly bits. Because it does just take it away. And I think particularly when you've got um people that are a bit more adverse to change, because change is hard. Change for the better is still hard. Um, and particularly when things are like like deep seated in like your language and the words you say and you don't know you don't even realize like what those words yeah. mean or what those phrases mean like those those changes are so hard to make and you can be trying and still cock up regularly like let's be honest sure. um so sure. add that to like the older generations that are even more adverse to change because one it's been cemented in them too for longer they're hitting that point in their life where they don't don't care quite as much I nearly swore then <laughs> the anti-swearing police Jess and I nearly swore um, where they just don't they don't care as much anymore and um, anyway and you give them the important stuff mixed in with the don't order a black coffee and we're not allowed to sing Baba Black Sheep anymore all they're gonna think of oh that's stupid and not bother doing any of it um, yeah, so, yeah I... that's true and um it's as I said, uh, with the whole white privilege thing and the connotations that surround that, that it's it's just all very con- condescending and very patronizing. What's wrong with a black sheep? What's wrong with the color black? There should yeah. be a sense of uh, pride and feeling proud uh, that people are even singing about a black sheep. Most, what if they were everything was just singing singing about whiteness and praising whiteness then there'll be that debate of hold on hold on a second why aren't you mentioning mentioning people who look like me and um, you've left me out therefore you're a racist so it's sort of like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't and this is where now I feel my message to people would be to think for themselves yet yet be considerate to other races and kind of and this is the thing it takes a lot of strength and a lot of um sort of self-belief that what you're saying is you know is correct to maybe not not challenge well essentially it is challenging all of those sort of pc brigade ideologies but it's questioning them it's saying okay why really why do you think mr potato head is racist but can't you see it in this angle that this may not be racist and it again having these conversations with people will actually make other people say hold on a second maybe i've taken this too far maybe i am being silly and stuff and having these conversations, as I said, it's in this day and age, it's very, um, you begin to get very fearful because you don't want to offend the next person. But we're going to live in a totalitarian society and one that is hushed up like the the uh, book by George Orwell, 19, what is it, 1984? We'll go with that because that's what I would have said. (laughs) It's wrong to anyone listening who's offended. But if you're offended about us getting a book title wrong, you probably are listening to wrong. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if we're not going to have this sense of freedom of speech, which I believe is very essential to modern society or to us just back 
back to the anthropology state of human beings, that we are free to think, we are free to feel, we are free to say stuff, but with respect. That's where respect com comes in and consideration for the next person. There's a difference with just saying what you want, hurtful things and, you know, um, have and having respect for that individual, yet having your own set of ideas. And um, yeah, it's, it's this thing about challenging the next person and not being fearful to do so. And I think um, I think we do need to have these conversations instead of being spoon fed on, of, on what to do and what to say. Otherwise, our civilization is essentially going to be destroyed and it's going to be damned. That's that's my opinion, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's so, so powerful. Um, Oh, we, we've like already gone over the half an hour originally going to do, and we're now going to get to the, uh, <laughs> the, the <laughs> but um, when it, do you think we have a racism and inclusivity problem in pageantry in the UK? Do you know what, Jess? I don't think it's intentional. And um, there, there is an issue, but I don't think, let's say the pageant organisers, I don't think it's intentional for there to be a problem. I actually have some points here of why um, diversity in pageantry is a problem and it may not be what you think it is. So would you like me to start? I was gonna, I wanna, I, I, let me know if you agree with this, but for me, and then we'll go into this point. So I think this, for me, something I've definitely discovered through through lockdown is your, your you can be anti something, you yes. can support something, or there's the middle ground where you don't do anything. And sometimes being that middle ground can be like dangerous towards, it can, and by being in that middle ground, you're sometimes adding to being anti or you're adding to being support of things as well. I've used those yeah. three different dividers before. Um, so I think that um, when we are saying that, there is a problem in a certain area. Sometimes it isn't necessarily because people have been supporting racists or racist behavior. Mm -hmm. It's because they've been in this middle bit and it's accidentally, inadvertently, because they haven't mm -hmm. been anti-racist, it's like swayed to that. So that, that um, uh, if yeah. you have any different differentiating, no, that's the yeah. different thoughts to that, then, then add them. But then, yeah, let's go on to your points. That'd be awesome. For sure, yes. Um, yeah, as you said, um, it's sort of, I don't know. For me, it's it's not black and white. There, it's, there's, de there's definitely sort of like a middle grey area, but um, other people would say it's either racist or it isn't, so I don't know. But what I would say um, is that that... First of all, it's sort of the perception or the standard of beauty that always comes into mind in Western society in general, not just in pageantry. And I don't believe that pageantry does have a standard of beauty. I mean, look at us. There's different shapes, sizes and colors and we're all encouraged to enter, which is fantastic. Mm. But I think when... I'm going to say as um, a black girl, I'm not sure really how it is, you know, for Indian girls or other uh, women of color. Um, as a black girl and also, or mixed girl, 
with black heritage and also talking to fully, you know, black girls. And I go to them, you know what? You're so beautiful. Your, um, you know, your beliefs are aligned with many great things. Why don't you enter pageantry? Like, have you ever considered it? And I remember I told one girl that and she said to me, you know what? That is a great, you know, uh, thing to say. Thank you, Candice. But for me, I don't feel like I would ever win the crown in comparison to um, my other, you know, Caucasian counterparts and stuff. I feel that uh, pageantry, because it seems to be mostly run by white people, would want to choose someone who looks like them and um, sort of represents European standards of beauty and everything like that. And um, I, I gave her some examples of, you know, past winners who of color, you know, women of color who have won in uh, pageants. And she said, that's great, Candace, but that's only a few. There's, there's not many, you know what I mean? So I don't think I would feel very comfortable in um, putting myself out there and being judged against people who I know stand a better chance than me um, at winning. And it was very, it was very, very sad to hear. So there seems to be this, uh, this sort of belief amongst, yeah. sorry? I was going to say disconnect belief is, is accurate. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, where, where beautiful black girls think that they wouldn't stand a chance at all. And um, she even said to me, Candice, you're mixed race. You, you know, you, know you, you hold sort of both the European and the black standard. You even have more of a chance than me. So it comes in with this, um, again, this other thing, which is connected is a branch of racism and it's called colorism. So it's like the lighter you are, uh, the more desirable you are because you are more akin to the European white standard of beauty, even though you're not necessarily fully white. So it's all of these things that is um, that is essentially putting off black girls to entering pageants. And also there's the problem of um, finance and, you know, economic problems of where um, there's quite a few, you know, black girls who come from uh, lower income families. So when they see maybe the, um, the entrance fee, you know, to enter the pageantry, they're going to be like, oh, that's a little bit too expensive. And then we have to get our dresses. We have to get ABC travel, hotels, all of that. I'm not really sure if I want to invest in that when I could be investing and in growing my business and helping out mom and dad and all of those complications. And then we have another problem of where it's um, pageantry is simply not encouraged or popular enough in black communities and it's sort of like education is put in the forefront rather than any anything to do with beauty or anything to do with sort of um, looks it's sort of books over looks sort of mantra in the black community and um, lastly I would even say that in um, the African culture, well, some African cultures, there's that problem of um, revealing your body too much and focusing on the body and all of that. It's sort of, tapoo, sorry, taboo in, um, oh my gosh, I think I was going to say taboo or something like that. Taboo. We knew what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> taboo. And um, uh, yeah, and 
sort of you know other your your african community will then look down on you because maybe you're concentrating more on you know your body and and not going to school so it's all of those factors that are mixed in and maybe it's it's not really apart from the first point of the standards of beauty it's not really looking it's not it's not really sort of a racist coming from a racist stance it's just more coming from a cultural uh, and economic and social stance and then within... it comes across a bit racist because there is a lack of representation yes and that's yeah exactly that's the only racist thing i would say that yeah it's the it's the lack of representation it it then um gives black girls it, oh, and i remember I, a point that i actually wanted to make um, a, comp- a pageant competition, I won't say which one it is, that I entered a few years ago, um, the top five girls were all, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, you know, um, white, white girls. Mm-hmm. And um, there were a few people, uh, women of colour, you know, comp- competing. And my dad actually said to me, like, Candace, this is very strange how the top five girls are all blonde-haired and blue-eyed. There was no, you know, other girl, at least brunette or something like that. And we also see see it on Love Island that, the, for example, starting tonight, actually, um, that the uh, the standard of beauty, what, who the men typically go for are the blonde head and blue eyed girls and stuff, which there's nothing wrong. You know, everyone has preferences. But then again, that if that's being fed to us, especially to uh, women of color, that then makes us feel like, okay, uh, there's no one who looks like me who's at the top, you know, um, then what's the point? You know, no one's going to go for me. No one's going to have faith that I can do well. Uh, so yeah, it's all, it's all very sad. Very sad. It's really tricky because it is like, it's chicken and egg as well. Like, how do we get more in when we haven't why do how do we get um a more inclusive a more mm. inclusive um finalist group when you haven't got the like the representation at the top at the, in the top five in the places that win um yeah. there are certain types of a uh, certain type of look that do always seem to win some of the top internationals like there is one um international pageant that I know of that people are always like oh yeah they love like an English rose look um yeah and 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 I'm like well hang on a minute why are we saying it like that's a good thing should we not be stepping up and calling that system out a little bit um yeah. it's yeah it's trying to get get, get lots of different types of women to understand that there is a place for them I mean I didn't feel like there was a place for me to stay in pageantry I was just doing my first one for a bit of fun and I didn't feel like there was a long-term place for me because I was tall but the irony is I interviewed a well-known pageant director in series one and I asked her what was one of the stereotypes or one of the rumors or something she wished people knew was was inaccurate or something about pageantry something along those lines and she said oh people always think you have to be tall to win and it's not true and I was like that's so weird because I thought the exact opposite I thought you had to be quite uh, tall to win and it's, it's oh wow so it's it's it is I mean I don't know how I thought everyone was like really short from predominantly pictures but hey ho that's, <laughs> that's how I saw it um but it's 
it is very tricky and I think there have been that have been a few that have been brought up about um how angling your marketing because even if you haven't necessarily got the queens um so maybe say 10 percent of your finalists are not white um mm. if you want to then next year attract more finalists who are not white the fact of the matter is you are going to need to highlight your non-white finalists more than your white finalists um, sure. And to be honest, as someone who wants to see the pageant industry grow and be more inclusive, I'm quite happy if my stuff gets shared less by my system because they are trying to like support an initiative like that. Like I, I don't yeah. have any pageant girls that wouldn't. And if you, if you aren't willing to do that, I kind of feel like you're probably not in the right <laughs> industry. Yeah. I'm meant to be here making positive change, but hey ho. So. What I was saying is just that that we get with a lot of systems, they focus on like special months or special awareness days. And then the rest of the social media is very, very white the rest of the time. Um, And that's where it's like, if you are going to be as a system actively saying you, I am anti-racism, you then need to put your money where your mouth is and do things to combat either racism within your system or the lack of inclusivity um, yeah, it's I like how you say it's it's like it needs it's it's not racism inclusivity it's race inclusivity isn't it it's um yeah it's it, again that tricky thing of, of having the right words and knowing the right words and etc cetera, etc cetera with it um that's very interesting and um, I I come back to this in so many topics and maybe one day I'll start well no I do I do bring it up with directors I'm just at this very moment I'm in happen to be in less conversations with directors at the moment I'm just because I'm not doing any projects around that kind of thing and I'm not at events to speak to them but it does seem to come up a lot that um systems will say something like oh we don't have a judging criteria like anyone can win but they're not telling their judges that so right. not having a judging criteria is a judging criteria in itself. If you're saying we don't we don't judge the dress, it's all about the girl inside, but you don't tell your judges that. Interesting. And that leaves it up to the judge's interpretation. And as obvious as it should sound, um, I feel like systems should be making a thing of saying to their judges, um, don't base who you pick on the previous year's girls like it don't just look oh well last year the system had this queen this queen and this queen they all looked like this or majority of them look like this and using that as your base for what we want in our queens moving forward um because that's where a lot of systems get stuck in the cycle of having the same type of winner and that's not always about their race or even how they look sometimes that can be you get the same sort of platforms coming through the same sort of charity work or appearance like same sort of things that they've done with their appearances coming through like you just see this general repetition um and I do think there needs to be particularly trying to have more inclusivity with race um with LGBTQ plus all of those kind of things but there does need to be more guidelines for for judges um and that i wish directors understood that saying you have no criteria is in itself a criteria yeah i agree a hundred percent and also just to add on now this sort of uh what we've touched on right now is kind of like a merit 
versus you know look or you know, looks or like a, a box you tick you know um or you know being black and or brunette and whatever so it's then the argument of shouldn't we be looking at a person's merit how much charity work they've been doing appearances mm-hmm. um you know personality rather than how they look if they're black if they're lgbtq and all of that um so it's it's again it's a very difficult one because what if, what if all of the five blonde girls for example actually well clearly they did they uh, did really good charity work many appearances did everything really well and what if they actually then did deserve to be there in comparison to another let's say a uh, black girl or indian girl what if they did do more work and it, and it isn't just about looks. There's that other side that also um, is a possibility. So it's it's def- it's definitely very difficult to uh, just stick with sort of one idea about all of this. And yeah, I don't know how you feel about that. It's it's such a complicated issue because mm. there are some systems that aren't as much about appearances and aren't much about charity work. And I feel like they are very open with it. And then there are some that claim that it's more about that, but actually you see people that come through and win that have barely done anything, or if they have, they certainly haven't been promoting it. They haven't been posting their appearances or you get those girls, they turn up on the day with an a thousand appearance folder, um, <laughs> but they haven't posted about a single one online. It's like, well, they importance of appearances is that you're gaining support for the charity or the community events that you're at or at the very least your system so it's a yeah. bit it seems a bit underhanded if you're like hiding your appearances I agree um, as well I I would generally generally like to see more clarity from systems um yeah and uh I won't say which system it is but I was speaking to a director the other day uh, well a couple of weeks ago and um she was talking about she was just finalizing her finalist pack for the next competition and her judges pack and I was straight in there to discuss that with her um (laughs) because she gives they have a contract to sign as judges that they've like read the pack and they're going to adhere to what's because it goes to an international and they need to find and there was nothing in there that um that the finalist didn't see it was right. the finalists were given the same information. Um, so the finalists knew the criteria as much as the judges knew the criteria. It was just worded differently because one was worded to this is what's expected as a finalist. And the other one was worded. This is what you need to know as a judge. Um, and actually, I think the thing is that a lot of directors say they worry that they would stop girls wanting to compete. Like certain girls wouldn't apply if they had a criteria. And I was like, a criteria saying um, we are open to all skin colours, for example, is still a criteria. It's mm. just not a discrimination or what's the opposite of inclusivity or exclusive or. Oh, I don't even know. I can't think of the exact <laughs> word I need. Like it's not a limiting criteria. It's actually a right. expanding criteria. It's something that expands the reach of the people that and and I think um Molly your director has really helped prove my point on this because eco um 
is obviously appealing to people that are into eco. And she's got loads of new contestants that have come into pageantry because yes. they're kind of, for want of a better word, that there's a niche. Like there's another draw in and it's very much this pageant is about this. And I I see the pageants, um, just looking into her crystal ball, um, <laughs> I see the pageants in the future that are more clear with what they stand for and who they are and what they want from systems. I see them growing more than those pageants that at the moment are just trying to appeal to everyone. And you end up appealing to nobody. It's like when you try and get everyone to like you, everyone ends up hating you. No, Jess, that is very smart of you to say that and Stas. It's better to be honest and um, to show again, what you're representing and stuff. So you can actually get who you want and not just another uh, sort of copy of a, you know, another girl or whatever, just to fit a look or, or whatever. And yeah, that's, that's very, very important. And I'm very happy that you said that. Mm, it's, I, the, the trouble we've got with Pageant Land is when we first moved it into being not just the podcast into a big thing, I'll be completely honest about this. We got some grief because people thought we were trying to be a governing body. And right. It, like, I have no intention of becoming a governing body. I think pageantry could do with a governing body, but I don't think in the UK there's, there's no way of doing it now. Like, you, right. need, someone, you need a completely unbiased, self-financed group right that has no knowledge or investment within the pageant industry but is really interested and happy to pay loads of money to run a governing body that does has no financial benefit like there's just not no one's gonna no one's gonna do that no unbiased person is gonna say hey I know nothing about pageantry but hey I'll set up a governing body of like an unbiased governing body like it's just not like yes it would be great if we magic could magic magic one out of our bottom but we can't (laughs) and and pageant and definitely don't want to be that but the thing is doing what we do, trying to spark conversations, promoting different girls, different systems, speaking to directors, because we kind of are starting to build up a much more broader spectrum, um, broader spectrum, that's not quite the right word, broader view of pageantry and bringing together lots of different systems to have conversations and things like that. We are starting to see patterns. Right. What things that it would be lovely to be able to share the patterns that we're seeing and and those kind of things with directors, but some are much more receptive than others. And some come to me now um, and ask these questions and that's lovely. And I do always phrase it with that. We're not trying to be a governing body, but just from what I've witnessed, this, this, and this. Um, And I know, oh, have I lost you again? (laughs) I I know there are other people within the pageantry that maybe don't have brands like Pageantland that get, ask this thing as well like there are there are I guess like matriarchs of UK pageantry get that get asked these kind of things as well but then there are all still some directors that seem to shy away from welcoming this kind of information and welcoming these kind of conversations which I think is a big shame um and I think will end up being to their detriment like they'll end up losing out um because they weren't willing to learn from the bigger picture of the industry so so we've touched on so many things today and I feel like we could have gone on for hours. One of the questions we did get asked on social media, and I'm 
not going to ask the question to you because I, I just want to let the audience know that I saw the question. I actually have decided it's going to be an episode in itself. And someone asked around um, certain rounds of competition and uh, connecting with um religious like religious headwear I can't remember the exact phrase they use but that was the that was in there I'm gonna do that as a separate episode because I think it needs an episode to itself and like we talked about earlier just like even showing as much skin um in certain um I was about to say groups but that's the wrong word certain um cultures cultures, that's the word certain cultures so we will do a culture and religious impact on pageantry i need to think of how i'm gonna frame and how exciting separate episodes um and it like the religion and lgbtq plus bit went on for quite a while in the other episode so i think between the two i've realized it needs an episode of itself so we'll do that um but before we wrap up how can we find you on social media Yes, well, I have two accounts. My main account, and they they both show my pageant journey, is CJ Pash. So C J P A S C H E. That's my main account. My eco account is Miss Eco Candy. Fabulous, and I will link those in the show notes as well. Um. If people have got some questions about anything you've spoken on today and about what you're doing in pageantry, are you happy for them to like reach out and message you? Do you have a preferred account for that? Yes, um, 100%. Feel free to reach out and message me. Uh, any of the accounts are fine. I'm very much active on both accounts. Perfect. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> Eco is the first pageant that I'll be heading back to. Unfortunately, I can't make Power Pageant Weekend because we move like two days before and it's just not it's just not going to happen. And I clung on to the idea for a long time and I had to release it into the universe. But Eco, Aww. my accommodation is booked and obviously Pageant and Pageant and Fitness are sponsors. Um, and um, I have no influence on like the judging on the main stage. The fact that I've interviewed Candy does not put her at an advantage against any of the other Miss Eco contestants even though we <laughs> just I like made that clear to Molly and um, you know that as well so that's fine I don't have any inf- people think sponsors have a lot more influence over judging than we do we like nothing that I've sponsored has had any influence in judging so um, <laughs> there you go um have um an amazing evening everyone thank you so much for being with us and listening to this fantastic conversation but don't let this be the end of the conversation let this be the start of the conversation and as i said at the beginning if you have a topic you'd like to bring to dig deep and debate and um, then please let me know pop me a message instagram messenger or email are usually the safer options but you know all our socials you can find us everywhere um, and we'll see you again soon Thank you for joining me today. I value and appreciate your time so much. It's wonderful you've given some of it to this episode. Please rock on over to our Facebook or Instagram and share your thoughts. And I would love you to give this episode a share while you're there. For any specific links, check the show notes or rock on over to our website, pageantlandpodcast.com for more information about the podcast or how you can be a guest on a future episode. Have an amazing day. And remember, you sparkle your brightest when you're being yourself. See you soon.